This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding. And I'm joined once again with Jim Sebastio. Hey, Jim. Hi, Brian. Good to see you again. You too. So we're going to jump into topic in just a minute. I just want to remind everybody to uh, to go to iTunes, leave a review for the podcast if you haven't done that yet. Uh, we're real encouraged, by the way, by many of you who have done that through the through the years we've done this. And so it helps spread the word of the podcast. It just helps us get your feedback. So thank you for those who have done that. You can also go to practicalshepherding.com and all kinds of resources and content that's available there, including over 100 podcast episodes, Jim. Woohoo! So you can access all those through that if you don't go to iTunes and do it there as well as articles and, and other things uh, at the web on our website. And you can also reach out to us. If we can be a help to you in any way, please reach reach out to us, write us. And uh, we, have a whole, we have a team of people who kind of respond to those, and we want to be a help if we can to you. So don't hesitate to do that. Uh, Jim, we want to talk today about uh, uh, an important timely topic as we go into the holidays of Thanksgiving, Christmas, and uniquely so, I guess, because we would all say that the holidays are tough times, uh, challenging times for different people. To come to the end of 2020 holidays, to be in the middle of this pandemic where the, all the cases are surging, where states are now clamping down on, and, and tightening restrictions right around the holidays of all things. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, we don't get to determine the, the timing of this stuff. We, I'm sympathetic to why that's the reaction of, of governors and state officials and and all those with the CDC. Having said that, as pastors, we're thinking about how this affects us, how it affects our people. So we're aware, and this is what we want to talk about today, we're aware that we have people who are already grieving the losses of this year and the losses in their life in different ways, dealing with the isolation that this pandemic has brought. And now, as we're going into holidays, which are a lot of times tough for people because it just stirs the loss and the sadness and the isolation that's already been present. Now we have state officials telling us that we have to isolate even more right in the middle of the holidays. So I think we would all agree that we're all just wore out from all of this, but the the unique situation we're finding ourselves in as pastors, as churches, just as individuals around this pandemic. So that's what we want to talk about today is how do we as pastors care for grieving people? That's a good question in the midst of the holidays being a challenge and and difficult. But man, specifically in this particular year and these this set of holidays. So Jim, how would you set this up biblically for us to think about how we as pastors can care for grieving people during this time? Brian, several things that come to mind, and and again, being mindful of our particular role as as pastors and what we mean in the lives of our people and what our people mean in our own lives. And Brian, we talk so often about really when we talk about having a shepherd's heart, we we mean that in terms of that we will feed, but also that we will care and that we love and that we are knowledgeable. That there is a uh, a mutuality of knowledge and affection between pastors and people. And you can read about that in John chapter 10 as part of the marks of a, of a good shepherd. A good shepherd, he knows his flock. He knows their names. And part of that is uh, an emotional, I'm going to call this, Brian, an emotional awareness of the needs of your people. That's good. That you're not disconnected, that you are, you're mindful of, as you think through the various families, 
what they have been through. Yeah. And then, Brian, I think that we are also, we need to be mindful if we're not, and, and I'm not going to set an age limit on this and say you're more susceptible when you're younger because it, it, some of this is a matter of personality. It's a matter of training. It's right. a matter of conviction. That's right. And that's that we understand that we would have an understanding of the nature of grief and that grief does not have a two-week window, a three-week window. You know, in the scriptures, they, you know, you were allowed forty days of really giving yourself over to grief. I mean, of of an extensive period of grief. And, right. and, and and but what that didn't mean is that on day forty-one you were better. Right. And sometimes we want to have this idea that if you're a Christian. You know, you you handle loss. You do handle loss differently. We do not grieve as those without hope, but simply because you have hope doesn't mean you don't grieve. And I I was talking to some people this past weekend who had lost a a child to a stillbirth, and it was Mm. still relatively raw. And I was able to talk about my own loss, which was 27 years ago, full term, my first son, full term, nine pounds, but he he was born with his the cord wrapped around his neck and yeah. and we held a dead child and the grief of that i mean there's a that immediate explosion of grief that wail that comes when you see that mm-hmm. and, and then i mean i could talk about this in a way that i i would be i wouldn't be able to communicate anymore today because i would be so overcome yeah. it's 27 years ago yeah yeah you talk to anybody. You can talk to a ninety-year-old woman who's lost a child, and she may have lost him, you know, during the Vietnam years War. Ago, yeah. During the Vietnam War, and she'll break. Yeah. Uh, you know, loss loss doesn't have a time code. Yeah. That's right. And and I think even though some of this is cultural, well, what's the difference about Thanksgiving and what's so different about Christmas? It's not. I didn't call them during Arbor Day or Flag Day. You know. Well, uh, if if you have that attitude, you probably shouldn't be in ministry. But. Yeah. You know, I think you ought to know and recognize that these are times when losses are keenly felt. And so there's a text in Scripture that I was meditating on just recently, and it describes various people in the church, and, and, and this, is, this is in 1 Thessalonians 5, and it's verse 14, now we exhort you, brethren, he says, warn those who are unruly, so that's this is actually to the whole congregation yep, right. that's saying this, but certainly the pastors are included. Warn those who are unruly. Comfort, he says, the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Uphold the weak. And then he says, be patient with all. So whatever, yeah. ca- every everybody's in the last category. Yeah. Everybody needs patience. But there are some who are going through things and are experiencing things right now, and two of these four have to deal with a felt sense of weakness and with this faint-heartedness. And, and so to recognize that, I think, first of all, to recognize it. So one of the things I've, I have done, and I might encourage other people to do, I have in my phone the anniversaries of certain losses hmm. so that I know so I have a, there's a man in my church who lost his daughter, I think it was 27, 28 years ago, somewhere in there, 26, 27 years ago. Uh, but it's in October, and so every October, every, I, I sent him a text. Um, a woman uh, that lost her son uh, in April of several years ago to say, hey, I'm thinking about thinking about Phil today, or mm-hmm. I'm thinking about Jennifer today. 
or one of the widows. I'm thinking about, you know, Ralph today. And then, you know, some, we've got some first anniversaries of deaths that are going to be coming up. We have several that this is their, this is going to be their first Thanksgiving and their first Christmas without their loved one. Yeah. And those especially just, so you want to make, so first of all, just to remember it. And so whether it's a phone call, a text, a message, that just says, hey, I'm praying for you extra hard today. Love you. I'm thinking this is your first without so-and-so. And just that they know that they know that it's it's not forgotten, that their loved one may have died eight months ago, nine months ago, almost yep. a year ago, or 10 years ago, yep. but that you still remember and that they remember. Yeah, And that's a, that's a great idea even to keep, to have a system of some kind for a pastor to try to keep up with those things. To be able to reach out because, uh, and I want to go back to a point that, that you made. I just want to reiterate it. And that is that grief does not have a time limit. And I, in regard to the specific kind of unique situations we're in now with the pandemic pushing people back into isolation during these holidays that stir up a lot of this grief, mm. I think pastors need to anticipate the grief being worse. You know that it's yeah, this will be a harder. This, this will, will be, be more harder. than usual. Yeah. So what I want to first say is just any pastor tempted to want to tell somebody to you know it's been this long, like you know, kind of suck it up and, and get over it is a really bad way to handle it. Anytime I would say uh, that may be obvious to a lot of pastors. Hopefully it is, but I, I still want to be able to say that in that uh, it's if you think that this person should be over this or not as. You, I think what pastors will experience in the next six weeks are people who maybe experience a deep grief that they're like, why are they so sad? Or why are they so stirred up by this? Or why, you know, and, and I think the combination of the, the fatigue from the isolation that we've already experienced with this pandemic, the unique grief that's come with different losses, I think pastors just need to anticipate that it's going to be harder. It's going to be more intense. And to prepare for that, otherwise, they will get caught off guard, which means they won't be attentive to needs, or they won't be real empathetic. And both is going to sabotage the ability to be able to care for grieving people. So I think we have to start there first. All right. So what, Brian? I guess the question now comes. So what do we what do we do? And I think part of what we're we're going to ask in this is uh, maybe it's twofold. Uh, one is what we would do under ordinary circumstances, and then what are we going to do during the restricted, at least recommended or even mandated restrictions? Because if this had been any other holiday, because I think we could do this podcast at any holiday or any year. We, if we did this two years ago without the pandemic in mind, we probably would have. We we would we may have said things like we might say things like. Make sure that the grieving person has family that they're with, or someone we, invite them to their that, house for that's Thanksgiving. What I was yeah. say. Yeah. We we strive, and I, I've I've had this for years. I want to make sure that every, real almost anybody associated with our church, particularly our members, and I think through uh, I, I think through who is single, who doesn't have family in right, the area. Right. And that they have somebody that they are going to be with. And we have several families through the years that have been like the more open house folks. And we have some with big houses and wide, generous hearts. And so they would have 15, 20 people yeah, over, to their, over to their That's house. Right. Yep. 
And I just I want to make sure that either I, as a, as as a as a pastor, or the deacons have thought through, have we contacted everybody? And sometimes you'll have somebody that's a bit recalcitrant. Oh, I'd just rather be home and read or something like that. I'm like, oh, I can't bloody your conscience. You know, I'm not gonna. Yeah. But but I want to make sure that you know that you're welcome. They at least have an offer to go somewhere. Is yeah, is the big thing we, yeah. we always try and, and to do. And that if somebody doesn't, it's not because. They weren't invited. Yeah, that's, that's, that's that the would goal. be the tragedy. That's that would the be goal. to me. It would be a tragic thing in any church. And this is part of you know, he sets the lonely in families. Yeah, he sets the lonely in families, and that there is nobody that feels an undue degree of loneliness. Now, some people want far more than you might be able to give them. Far more than a church is obligated to give. I think that's a, that interesting discussion for another time. How much fellowship, how much friendship is any one church? You know, if somebody says, I don't like that church, I don't have enough friends there. Well, how many, if you had one more, would that be enough? I mean, how many friends is enough? But again, I think he does that we are family and that we are mindful of that, that loneliness is exacerbated during the holidays and that grief is exacerbated over the holidays. So again, some people are going to have an empty chair for the first time uh, this Christmas and this and this Thanksgiving. What can we do yeah. to acknowledge that, to express our love? But then, then let me ask you this, Brian. What do you think we can do practically in this season that's different maybe than what we would have done in days gone by? Or do we, this is my question, do we ignore the protocols and ignore the mandates and their rec- recommendations within reason because there's something greater at stake. There, there's more to health than not getting COVID. Well, there's a lot of there's several questions in there. I, I would affirm to you that we do the same thing in that, uh, and our church is a size where we were able to basically just go through the membership. And like, where is everybody? Is there who, who's in town? And does everybody have at least a place that they've been invited to go? And so I've always tried to cover that for Thanksgiving and for. For Christmas, and yeah, I think the what has happened, uh, what's happening now, and the the some of the lockdown and restrictions that are coming, I think is going to change that. What do we do? I I do think there there is a piece to us that we need to, as pastors, think holistically and consider the mental health of people in the midst of this. I, I think that I don't think you just go. I don't think we just go rogue. I think we need to acknowledge the the the, the spread and. And obviously, how to how to try to help that. At the same time, I think one of the things that's been ignored in the last seven or eight months since this pandemic hit is the you know the amount of suicides, the amount of mental uh, illness, and, and things that have come to to light, and people have been affected by as a result of all this. So, I think as pastors, we have to keep we have to take that into consideration. And then, as far as practically to answer that question, I think we have to we have to think creatively, like we always have been on. How do we still try to accomplish what we accomplished with you and I sitting down with a list and deacons and making sure everybody's been invited somewhere? Well, it's, it's about people not being alone. It's about there being some kind of presence that's there. So my a couple of suggestions I would give is maybe not going to be able to congregate in homes as much, but what if uh, you had certain, what about those people we talked about that are, you know, 
have the plenty of room and they're, and they're very generous and they'll invite 10, 15 people willing to let them come in. What if those same people, that, what if there were groups of people willing to be generous with their time and small groups of people mm. went around and actually visited widows who have to be by themselves, mm. stand in their yard and, and, and talk to them, sing some Christmas carols, whatever it might be. But, but do again, do something. You're not having them over for dinner and, and all that kind of stuff, but... Again, we're trying to get people to where they're not just alone all the time. There's there's actually a a present, a human being present in their midst, even if it has to be 15, you know, 10, 15 feet away. Mm. So I think that's one of the things I would encourage is send small groups of people to the people we know are isolated and are at home and can't go anywhere and go and stand in a yard and sing or talk to them or bring them a gift or, or whatever it might be. So it's going to require people to be moving around more. I think instead of just staying put, we're here for Thanksgiving. We eat a lot more than we should, and we lay around and watch football and do nothing, you know, and just hang out. I think people are going to have to go out to people and try to minister. I think that's one way to do it. What about you? I, I think that that's good. I, I you know, I, I think you probably have a threefold response. So one is what we might call our technological, and that is. Uh, a call, an email, a text, or a Zoom, or Skype, or whatever it is, that's, tech, that's technological. That, so that's at least uh, that acknowledgement. I think, as you said, that second one is uh, personal, distanced, and that is mindful that this is, you can, okay, so this is a, a real thing. You if you didn't listen to the last podcast, Brian, what did you have last week? COVID. COVID. I had Brian COVID. had so Brian, you gone well, you went through everything. So now you you know And the you quarantine is brutal, by the way. I, I I caught off guard by in my bedroom for two weeks with no contact. It was hard. So Yeah, did your Okay. Did your where, where did your wife sleep? Yeah, she slept upstairs. Like I was I was up I was uh, alone in my room, I wore a mask and came up and got food and went back down into into my oh, bunker. And, and because I had seen you, Brian, before yes. you were diagnosed, I know, I know. I I slept in the basement for several days. <laughs> so, sorry about that, no, but I am. Well, really... my wife wanted to say thank you. She didn't have to. She didn't have to listen to me snore for. <laughs> I'm really four glad nights. I didn't give you COVID. By the way, I'm really, yeah. I really was encouraged by that. So I didn't want to responsible that. Yeah, I did tell you. That I think I emailed you or texted you that if I died, I wanted, I was going to haunt you. <laughs> thank you, and for you to feel guilty for the rest of your life. That didn't help me as I lay in my bed all alone <laughs> thinking about that stuff. So, yeah. So I think that uh, the. The isolation and loneliness is, as we're talking so about, you is, felt is real. It, you I felt, felt it. it, and here you are, married man, four kids, and you felt it. I did. And, you, and you're in the home. You're still in the same home, so you felt it. So again, I think we need to be, what we're saying is this is real, that this is, and there, there are people who have had very little contact with a human being outside of a screen. Right. And, some, and elderly people who may not be as technologically savvy have been in isolation really almost without that screen. That's right. Yeah, that's and, right. And, and then people in nursing homes who almost everybody they have seen have been wearing PPE and uh, all, all this stuff. And so, you know, you, you have this – did I say PPE? Is it PPE? That's right. Okay. Yeah. I was like – Wearing the gear. Is it, yeah. is it E? at the yeah. Anyway. I think. That's all right. We, anyway, know, I, we know what you're talking if about. If I'm wrong, you can happily let me know. The fact checkers out there. Fact checkers – um, but you know, almost everybody they've seen has been in this, and, and and so my question is, Brian, do we? 
you know, where, where, where do you, and this is a really, really, really hard question. I don't want to put anybody at risk. Right. There are risks I'm willing to take for myself. That somebody asked me last week, you know, how afraid are you of getting it? And they try to lay out very kindly several things, you know, because I'm old and because I have a heart condition. Mm-hmm. I said, thank you for not mentioning my weight. Um, <laughs> you know, so uh, the, you know, those kinds of questions. Am I, and, and I'm really, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm just not, I haven't been overly concerned. I haven't felt any degree of, of like real, real trepidation. I have some, I've had some concerns for others when my daughter was pregnant. I had some concerns, you know, the little one seems to be like little kids don't get it or don't get it very badly. So, you know, I, 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 but I, I, I would, I'm not, I'm not at all afraid of getting it. I would be very heartbroken if I gave it to somebody. And so that's the question. And I think that's, yeah, I think the rules haven't changed really in a lot of ways in my mind with this. And that's, I think this is where pastoral wisdom and uh, discernment needs to be taken into consideration and applied uniquely to every congregation. Do we flaunt? I mean, really, I don't want to flaunt the the, the recommendations of, of civil leaders, but at the same time, I'm thinking, can we have this you know woman over? Should we invite this guy over? This and, is why it, I think it's unwise for a pastor, and some have done this, and it, it, to stand up publicly in the pulpit and just kind of denounce with a strong position on this issue. When I think that pastors have to, re, regardless on our own personal views of this, by the way, we have to find that middle ground. Because people in our congregation are in different places, we have to pastor all these people. Right. And I think this, that principle has to be applied as we're trying to care for grieving people during this time to use discernment to figure out, you know, who, I, like people who just don't care about masks. I mean, I have high risk people who don't give a rip about masks and all that kind of stuff, but that doesn't mean I need to disregard it. <clears throat> but it also need I need right. to know that that's where they are. And somebody who is really concerned about it, maybe more concerned than I am personally, I need to honor that. That exactly. all needs to inform how I go about caring for grieving people during this t- the holidays, and and how to how to encourage other people to do that. Yeah. So I think I think we can do at least the first two, and that is to find some way of communication, right? Some way of acknowledgement, and perhaps within conscience and within the other person's comfort, to find a way to make some kind of personal right connection. Or, or that th- those things that are to ensure that somebody is doing that, that somebody is acknowledging that, that you know. So I believe with with ourselves, whether again we make our way to fifteen different houses on the holidays and stand outside and sing or whatever, but that somebody in the church that 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 there is the acknowledgement of every grieving person, right, uh, in the congregation and perhaps even at a congregational prayer meeting that yeah. we acknowledge, brethren. Let's pray for. And think through. There's some in the some in the church who feel particular loss at this time of year. Yeah, it's a happy time of year for many. It's also a very sad time of year. So I think we can publicly acknowledge. We can publicly pray. We can private privately exhort others to be involved in people's lives, mm-hmm. and then have some way in which we personally make contact with people to encourage them. It's good. My final word on this would be just a real practical thing, and that's. If you're a pastor and wanting to know how to, you know, just a general effort you can make, knowing you can't get around to 15 people's homes standing in their yard, and you may not be able to get other people to do that, 
like do a do a churchwide Zoom call mm-hmm. on Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Do it on Christmas Day. You may not have many people join, but just to offer that, you may be surprised maybe on if, if there's anybody who is home alone all day on these particular days <laughs> thinking about how nobody else is, they're not with anybody else. That Zoom call that a lot of us are fatigued from, like there's no way I'm getting on Zoom Christmas Day, right. might be surprised on what a blessing that could be to an older you know, elderly person who can do that and has nobody else around. So, Jim, we take a minute and pray uh, for pastors to be just have wisdom and discernment. I think that's really where we get what we've gotten from this is there's some general principles, but every pastor uniquely needs to know his flock and know how to care for those who are grieving. Will you pray mm. in that way? Yeah. Heavenly Father, we we pray that we will be an expression of the heart of the Chief Shepherd. We thank you, Father, that he is sympathetic with our weaknesses, that he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And we pray, Lord, that we would manifest that heart toward us, the suffering in our flock. And we ask this for their good and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.